This is Baldy's Breakdowns, the podcast, a radio.com sports original. Welcome to episode number six of Baldy's Breakdowns. The countdown to the NFL draft is on. Jason Martinez, Brian Baldinger, a radio.com original here as uh, we get ready for the NFL draft. Baldy, self-isolation, uh, going to pay dividends come draft night. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, like I've kind of said in the last couple podcast, Jason, I mean, I naturally self-isolate anyways. I mean, it's the only way you can really kind of break these things down. I mean, I just tell you just this morning, I figured, ah, you know, I had like a free hour and a half. So I just threw it out there to the Twitter world. Like any draft question you have, I'm, I'm here. So, I mean, they just started flying into Baldy's breakdowns. Right. So um, I started answering the questions the best I could. And, and a couple guys, you know, I gave them a, a quick little video of some guys that, you know, aren't real well-known, small college-type guys. And next thing I know, an hour and a half is up. And, like, they, they, the questions kept coming. And the point is, like, you can you can get carried away with this stuff to the point where you're not doing your work. And, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to give your information out that you've gotten, that you've gleaned, that you've learned. Um, and all of a sudden, you're, you know, all those uh, cornerbacks you're going to study today, like, you haven't gotten to them yet. So... To answer your question, yes, I'm healthy. My oldest sister came down with COVID-19. Uh, fortunately, like five days later, it wasn't one of those people that really, you know, you know, knocked her out completely, hospitalized her. She she got through it pretty good, but it's kind of scary when a family member of yours gets it. And uh, sure. but you know, I mean, we're all kind of dealing with this here. So for me, uh, I'm dealing with it almost the way I would normally be dealing with my regular life at this point, two, two weeks and two days before the draft. I mean, I'm just hunkered down right now and trying to learn as much as I can. Well, we're going to hunker down uh, with uh, Matt rule coming up on this episode as well. Baldy, uh, the first year with rule as the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Boy, he got a, a curveball thrown at him in his first uh, taste in the national football league as a head coach. He was with the uh, New York giants years ago in a, a coordinator position, a different position, but uh, to be in this role, we'll talk to Matt rule. Also, Baldy, uh, we're going to come up uh, and look at the all-decade team that happened yeah. that was just announced this week in the NFL. I want to get your take on uh, the 2010s all-decade team. There's some unanimous choices, both sides of the football, and uh, the coaches are pretty much what you would expect. We'll get to that. But I want to start with the draft because uh, the draft is, as you mentioned, it's now 16 days away from when we're taping here. And, you know, there's been some conjecture out there that they should delay this, that they should not delay it. They're going to do it virtually or digitally, however you want to term it. How do you expect this draft to go? And should it, will it go off without a hitch? Because I know one of the things that teams are concerned with is that their Zoom accounts uh, get hacked and people know what they're going to do. This is, I guess, you know, very today and what's going on, but this is what people are dealing with. Well, it's true. And I don't know all the details yet, Jason, to be honest with you, because I think they're still getting worked out at a high level. Now, remember, I mean, you've got, you know, you've got X amount of minutes, you know, in the first round, second round, third round in order to make your picks. So like, are they going to have a virtual clock? I imagine they will, that will show up on everybody's uh, Zoom account or wherever they're going to do this. Um, I, I, I can't believe that something that is this intricate, this top secret, all of these, you know, I mean, this protected, that it's going to go off without a hitch. I mean, I don't know what the problems might be. I could kind of guess that the clock is going to be an issue. 
making trades, Jason, uh, getting the information oh. like we always watch, you know, uh, you know, wherever it has been, whether it's been at Radio City Music Hall or, you know, in one of the venues, Philadelphia, Nashville, all the places it's been over the last few years. We've always watched the cards come in. There's a trade. We're all alerted. We're all kind of, you know, as analysts, we're all sort of guessing uh, who it's for, what the compensation, like all that information that, you know, a guy like Daniel Jeremiah would get out for the NFL Network or Adam Schefter or one of the insiders, Jay Glazer, all the insiders that could give you that information. Um, you, know, you know, like how is that all going to get out? And so it is an unbelievable um, exercise that you really can't prepare for. Like you can't have a mock, you know, no, no pun, but you can't really have a mock draft to get ready for the draft. But you really need one to really kind of practice how this thing can go off to really eliminate bugs that are bound to pop up um, in something that is so novel and unprecedented. Yeah, and the thing is, Baldy, too, like you look at a team like Miami, they have three picks in the first round. It, it may be incumbent upon them to really get any draft day deals done in advance because if there is technical errors or anything, for, for things to happen you know, at the goal line, pardon the pun, maybe really taking a chance. And like Miami, I mean, they got the number five and six picks in the top 70. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they got a lot going on. Right. So last week we had Mike Tannenbaum on, who was, you know, former general manager of both the Jets and the Dolphins. He talked about, you know, the the draft in, uh, I guess it's 2015, where Laramie Tunsil was their number one player on the board. And, you know, video broke out of him, um, you know, the day before, and his stock dropped. And there the Dolphins are at 13, getting their number one their number one player in the draft with the 13th pick. Now, I mean, that kind of stuff is not unprecedented. We saw that with Lyle Collins the day before his draft coming out of LSU. And, you know, whether he was involved in a, you know, a really bad uh, situation at school or he wasn't involved, it wasn't a whole lot of time to really do your diligence. And he ended up not getting drafted at all. And the Cowboys got themselves a starting right tackle uh, for the price of a free agent, you know, uh, player. So I don't know how that stuff is going to get handled because those kind of things can pop up at any time, Jason. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, Baldy, with this draft, because I think that we saw for the first year in the NFL last year, uh, I don't want to say tanking, like trust the process, what the Sixers did, but what Miami did was clear. They were not in it to win last year. They were in it to accumulate trade away uh, pedigreed players to get those picks. And now they're heading to this draft with all this draft capital. But can they turn that in these unique circumstances into a windfall for them is the question. And you have some other teams that, you know, look at the Detroit Lions. Are they a team that is going to, are they going to sit with Matthew Stafford or do they have a plan that they're going to try and execute at this draft? Well, I, I mean, those things are always uh, held tight to the vest. Some teams do have leaks and that stuff gets out. Other teams, um, you know, we, we live in the Philadelphia area. I mean, there's just not a leak in Philadelphia and there hasn't been in years. Um, a lot of the things that they have done, both free agency and the draft over the last few years, um, really have caught a lot of people by surprise because there was just really nothing coming out of their buildings. Now, not every building is like that. So, um but, you know, you, but your, your initial question, Jason, to me was, uh, is it better to get these deals done the day before? And I don't know if I really answered it. Um, it. It might be this year. It might be better to get deals done in advance yeah. 
so you know where you stand uh, and what you have going on. The fact that there's no visual really to this, the way, and I don't know, you know, maybe there will be split screens and, and uh, you know, another screen where, you know, there's not going to be the visual that we have seen. Um, it, it, so it's going to be kind of a, it's not going to be blind because everybody's got their boards and the boards are set and they're protected. And as names come off, they'll get crossed off. I don't know right now, Jason, the way this thing is, I feel like we're sort of in the dark, literally in the dark. I don't know that we'll get as many trades done or made while the draft is in the process that we have seen in the past because people might feel so blinded. I mean, you think about the draft three years ago with Patrick Mahomes and here comes the chiefs, you know, from the what 24th pick to get to number 10 to take Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it was one of those blockbuster type of deals or even last year, the Eagles just jumping up a few spots in front of the Texans to get the tackle they wanted Andre Dillard. I mean, those kind of deals might still get done, but I have a feeling that they, people just aren't going to be as comfortable in the format that they're going to be faced with as they have been in the past to do these kind of things. A lot of times the groundwork for these deals, they happen in face-to-face -face situations and you're not yeah. having those this year. So, you know, Patience, far different than it's ever been. And things need to happen very quickly at the draft because if it drops to you and all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, we're at nine. We got to get up to seven to grab this guy. And you got to, it's a lot more difficult with all of these. We're in a technological age, but in the dark ages when it comes to kind of seeing how this is going to unfold. Well, I think, you know, I don't know that the format yet, Jason, has been fully finalized by the NFL. Otherwise, I think we would have read something from Peter King or, you know, or Ian at the NFL Network or, you yeah. know, Schefter or somebody about how this thing is really going to go. Because if I was in my draft meetings right now, like Matt Rule's in a draft meeting right now, the Eagles are in draft meetings today. I mean, you would want to practice this as much as you possibly can, you know, using the technology, what we're going to be able to see, how we're going to set up our war room to be able to accommodate the non-visuals that we're used to having. I, I mean, I would get as comfortable as I possibly could right now in the, you know, in the 16 days leading up to this draft so that we, we don't feel uncomfortable when it's time to draft, when it's time to make a trade, when it's time, when, when you're in the countdown, like I, I'd kind of want to literally set up as many mock situations as possible using the technology that's going to be used starting on Thursday night, April 23rd, just to get as familiar with the way it's going to be done. It's maybe a question we can ask Matt today, if he knows yet how it's all going to look inside their war room there in Charlotte. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and it's it's the big one right now for a lot of teams. But let me ask you a quick, quick uh, couple draft-related questions. First and foremost, Washington, they got Dwayne Haskins there. Uh, he was the number one pick the year prior. Uh, new coaching staff now, Ron Rivera there. Do, do they look for a quarterback in this draft? They're drafting high. Or do they, you know, how do they, how do they approach this draft? Do they go Chase Young, the edge rusher, who's a dynamic player, or do they go quarterback? And unless they assume they have the guy there in Dwayne Haskins for the long term, you know, if you think back a couple of years ago, you know, the Arizona Cardinals they took Josh Rosen, I think, with the tenth pick or something like that, you know, and mm -hmm. you know he was there and he 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 struggled like the whole team struggled in Arizona. They were last in the league in every offensive category in ten different offensive categories. You know, and then they make a change 
at the head coach, and Cliff Kingsbury comes in. And, you know, they, they it was a badly kept secret that they badly wanted Kyler Murray. And so yep. they blew out Josh Rosen, even though he was a high pick. But Cliff wanted a guy that he wanted, that he wanted. Now, you, you can kind of almost feel like that's going on with Mark Rivera right now, that, you know, they brought in Kyle Allen, a guy that started, won his first four starts in Carolina last year when uh, Cam Newton went out with a Liz Frank injury. And he looked pretty darn good in those first four starts. Now, it didn't last very long. Um, the wheels came off the whole team. But they've got Kyle Allen there that understands what he wants to do offensively. He's got, um, you know, he's got the same offense coordinator they had there in Charlotte, um, you know, coming with him, uh, North Turner's son, Scott Turner. You kind of get the feeling that regardless that Dwayne Haskins was, you know, a first-round pick and all that, that they have nothing tied to Dwayne Haskins, nothing. And mm-hmm. I could see them – if they fell in love with Tua Tonga Viola or anybody else that they could easily pull the trigger and make the move and start building. And, uh, or, you know, look, Chase Young is going to be a huge chess piece. I think the way Nick Boza was a big chess piece, the way at one time Julius Peppers was a second pick in the draft was a huge chess piece. The way Lawrence Taylor was a second pick in the, I mean, Lawrence Taylor, Julius Peppers, Nick Bowes were all the second pick in the draft. And they were all franchise players that turned their helped turn their franchises around. And so, I mean, that's what you're looking at with Chase Young. And, you know, when you look at, um, you know, Chico, you look at Mark Rivera and what he's done and where he's been, those are the kind of players that he has built around. Um, so it remains to be seen uh, whether he goes uh, – you know, a guy like that and Chase Young, or if they say, you know, let's just build this offense. Let's get the quarterback we want in here. We've got three, four, five years, whatever. Let's do it with, you know, let, let's build it the way we want to build it around, you know, around our guy. I mean, Cam Newton was a, a really mobile guy, obviously. He ran for, you know, 10 touchdowns a year. He was the MVP. Um, there's some quarterbacks in this draft that have that ability. Uh, Dwayne Haskins does not have that ability. So is it something that they really – Covet. When you look at the offense last year in Carolina, when, when Cam Newton was there and um, and the year before with Cam and Scott Turner and North Turner calling the plays, that, that quarterback was a big part of the offense being a, a run threat. So um, they've got options right now. And I don't think they I don't think they know yet what they're going to do. Giants, but they haven't won a postseason game since 2012. They, they had one winning season since 2012. That was in 2016 when somehow they won 11 games. They moved on from Eli. Uh, we know that they took uh, the quarterback out of Duke last year uh, with the sixth overall pick in Daniel Jones. They have Saquon Barkley. Dave Gettleman's still there. What is the plan for the Giants heading into this draft? They got some. Uh, they got some interesting moves that they have to make. It's been too long for the Giants. Well, I'm I'm still not convinced that the offensive line is a finished product. Four tackles in this draft that look like they're going to go in the top 15 picks right now. And you can kind of throw them all up in the air, whether it's, you know, Becton right now or Werfs or Wills or, you know, Thomas. I mean, you can throw them all kind of up in the air. Everybody has kind of a different feel. I mean, do you spend the fourth pick on one of those tackles? Do you trade back and get one of the tackles that you really like, plug them and play them, and really get a wall for Daniel Jones where he's really protected and you really, you know, can get Saquon back 
uh, looking like he did his rookie year where he's an MVP candidate of the league? Or, you know, do you, you, you look at a guy like Simmons at Clemson right now with the fourth pick and go, let's start building this defense around a player that to me looks like he's got as much skill as anybody in this draft. And, you know, maybe Patrick Graham, the new defense coordinator, can figure out how best to use him. To me, he looks like a bigger, faster, stronger Derwin James. And, you know, he could play free safety. He could be your edge rusher. I mean, it looks like and everything in between. So, um, but I, if I was the Giants, I, I would finish my offensive line and I would get that thing done with a top flight pick right now and just build the best wall possible for what I think is going to be a really good quarterback in this league and what we know is a great running back. And then I would put all my yeah. resources on defense. Another team, Baldy, let's head out uh, to Las Vegas um, and the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, they have the 12th and 19th pick in this draft. There's been a lot of, you know, you know whenever John Gruden's involved and, and Mike Mayock out there now, they're, they like to be splashy. The Raiders have always liked to be splashy. Is this a, where they use these two picks to move up and make a big splash, or do they kind of sit where they are and address some needs? Well, they filled a lot in free agency. I mean, nobody was more active in free mm -hmm. agency than Mike Mayock and, and John Gruden. So I think some of the players that they signed are depth players, but, you know, Corey Littleton and what they did at linebacker look like, you know, they're going to be starters when they let Tahir Whitehead go. And you go through the whole, you know, roster of what they did. Um, but, you know, last year, last year, you know, with three first-round picks, I think they drafted three really solid players. I think they overdrafted – you know, for a defensive end from Clemson, and that might come back to bite him. Jonathan Abram got hurt in the first game he ever played in, but I think he's going to be a real stud at safety. Um, you know, I think when they went out and got Marcus Mariota in free agency, I think I think it took them out of the quarterback market. I mean, people are still, you know, tying him to a, one of these quarterbacks. And, you know, I know Mayock loved uh, Marcus coming out of Oregon. He had his, had his number one quarterback that year. Um, you know, and so I think Marcus Mariota going there, creating competition right now with, uh, you know, with, with, with what they have there in, in, in David Carr, I, I think solidifies that. I think they go, you know, just guys that change the game right now, you know, whether that's a cornerback in a wide receiver, um, you know, whether that's a game changing defensive tackle like a Kinlaw right now. Um, the offensive line is set. I, I think it's wide receiver and corner, if I know Mike Mayock well enough right now. Joining us right now on Baldy's Breakdowns. Boy, we were happy to have him. We put the list together of guys we wanted to get on. He was at the top of it. A former Temple coach, former Baylor coach, now coach of the Carolina Panthers, Matt Rule joins us. Matt, how are you? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me on. Matt, it's, uh, it's trying circumstances for everybody. So uh, I, we just talked off the air a little bit about you and your family and you're just taking advantage of these uh, difficult times that we're in to, you know, all be in the house together, you and your wife, Julie, and your kids eating dinner and all that kind of stuff. But that being said, Matt, obviously it's unprecedented for everybody, but for a new head coach in the NFL, it's got to be really, uh, it's got to be a real challenge to you right now. Kind of give us a little bit here, Matt, about what you can do under the circumstances, trying to get to know a team, a staff, um, an organization that you can't really see on a day-to-day -day basis and what some of those challenges are right now, Matt. 
Well, you know, I think um, obviously, you know, we, we certainly understand, you know, that it's not ideal. Um, at the same time, you know, every night I turn on the news and I, you know, I'm, I'm flooded with pictures of, you know, people working in hospitals in, in New York and all over the place. So it, it just kind of humbly puts you back in perspective. And, you know, the, the thing I, the thing I've tried to, to do is, is just make sure that we don't, we don't just, you know, people say control the control, but not, not even that, that we try to be elite at the things that maybe some other times we would just be good at. Mm-hmm. And so that, that might be our draft meetings and draft preparation and, and even going down and, and you know, film studying, uh, guys that didn't have a chance to have pro days that might be undrafted free agents trying to as a coaching staff really really push ourselves you know further in that regard i think um you know in terms of having the best you know you know sometimes as you know Baldy, playbooks can you know can get a little outdated and guys kind of you know don't really pay too much attention to it They're, they they think well we'll just coach it on the run and you know you know making sure that everything that we have is 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 so well done going back you know with a fine tooth comb over every piece of you know, cut up every, every playbook, everything that we're going to use to coach the, the players when we're not around them when the time comes. And so um, I think we're just trying to make sure we do those things. And then the other thing I'll say is, is that um, what I've learned very quickly, and I have three kids, they're in three different schools, they're all using, you know, online virtual learning is that this is really a great way to get a lot of work done. You know, I hit a button and I'm looking at, you know, my coaching staff and looking at different coaches. We're watching players. There's a lot that, you know, maybe I didn't realize a month ago that you can get done. And I think without the distractions of, you know, someone walking in your office, uh, you know, maybe just walking over the water cooler or the coffee table, you know, coffee area and and having a conversation. Like I can sit down and bang out work in really, really, um, uh, uh, targeted amounts of time. And so we're trying to do that. And, um, I think it, uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's not ideal, but I think we're trying to make the most of it. And I think we are just going back to when you got hired, a lot of people don't know who David Tepper is. They know he's the owner of the Carolina Panthers, but you know him differently now after going through an interview process, he obviously loved you from the jump, Matt, but can you just give us a little bit about the man that you're now working for and, you know, a relatively new owner here of the Carolina Panthers, what he saw in you and what you liked about him? Well, uh, first of all, I think the things that I liked about him were, A, that he had experience, you know, coming from the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, and so he had that experience. You know, he he, he referenced, you know, the Rooney family. He referenced, you know, uh, uh, Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin, all, you know. It, it, there, there's not many organizations over time that have been run quite the way that the Steelers have run, you know, have been run. So I knew that he had came from it knowing that, Hey, that's the right way to do it. You know, to do something that's built to last and to, you know, not to, not to get caught short, you know, caught up on the short term, but to really think about how, how do you build something that's special? And then, you know, then you get to know him and, you know, what he's done in his life, you know, the, the, you know, it wasn't someone whose, whose career was just handed to him. You know, he, he built himself from the ground up and that's kind of like, you know, how I see myself. And I think we saw that in each other. And then he's someone that likes to, to look at problems. Mm-hmm. He's someone that likes to challenge himself to, to, to find answers to things. And so, um, you know, he does it in a, in a, in the financial realm. Um, but at the same time, that, that's what I wanted. I, you know, I didn't want someone who said, hey, this, we're going to do it this way because this is the way we've always done it. I wanted to be a, 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 a participant with someone who said, what is the best way to solve this problem? What is the best way to overcome this obstacle? What is the best way to tackle you know, whatever mission we're trying to get on? And he's done that certainly at every step of his life, and he's doing it here now in the NFL. And so I, uh, I was excited to be a part of that. 
Hey, Matt, one of the things for you and th- that I noticed in your Temple days and certainly at Baylor, there, there's Matt Rule kind of guys, right? It, can you explain to people what you look for in a football player that makes them Matt Rule kind of players? Because you're the head coach of a new team. You want to put your stamp on it and you want to do it with guys that have the same core belief system that you have. So what are your core beliefs for players now at the NFL level? Well, I think, you know, obviously there's some physical components, you know, I, we want to be, be big, fast, explosive, you know, some, you know, some people say they want to do that, but like, you know, they'll, they'll kind of always go towards guys, you know, maybe who, you know, play the game a certain way or fit something, you know, I think you have to have coaches who can, who can build the system around their players and not the other way around. And so we've always done that. You know, we've always said, let's get the best possible players. Let's not worry about positions quite as much. And then let's build the system around our players. And so uh, we want, you know, we want fast guys, we want explosive guys. And then we want guys who, who are tough and who love football. We want guys who want to be the best. I want guys that I, I, you know, I can count on are going to show up each and every day and, and, and try to play the game the right way. And at the same time, you know, who are going to hold me accountable and my coaching staff accountable that we do it. And so I think there's a physical component to that. I think there's an effort component to that. There's an accountability component to that. And, and that's really what we've always tried to build. We try to build a place that's, you know, that that's a, a serious football place. You know, we don't want it to just be a show. You know, I know football's entertainment, the NFL's entertainment, I get all that. But at the end of the day, I want guys and coaches and players who are in love with the football, who, you know, want to come in after the game and turn the tape on and see the game played a certain way. You know, and, and so um, the guys I've had that are like that, um, I've loved coaching them. And, you know, as we as we went out into free agency, as we're in to find guys who are who are obsessed with playing the game a certain way, um, you know, uh, an uncommon way. Matt, I'm, I'm impressed by the staff that you've put together. Of course, we all know, you know, guys that know you know Phil Snow. Um, but, you know, to be able to get Jeremy Scott to come with you here, uh, he's been with you every step of the way. He, he was there when you were at Penn State. I'm curious, you know, whether it's, you know, Chase or Ed Foley or Frisman, some of the guys that you know really, really well. With, with, with Jeremy right now, how are you able to make sure your guys are getting the right amount of work in, Matt, are staying in shape, all those kind of things that can be a little challenge if guys don't have the resources that you're used to having right now? Yeah, and I think I think you know the league and 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 you know and, and the players associate. I think all of them are, they're all kind of negotiating right now what exactly the parameters that we can do. Um, you know, I I look at it very simply like this. You know, my, my my job as a head coach has always been number one to make sure everyone has everything that they need to be successful. So that's that's the coaches having the right players. That's you know having the right equipment. That's all those things. So right now for our players, you know whether it's you know health and physical support, whether it's emotional support, mental support, you know, whether it's the support learning the playbook or whatever we're allowed to do in terms of giving guys weight programs, giving guys, um, you know, home kits of equipment that we can send them, giving guys, you know, home rehab. Um, We want to make sure that we're all on top of that and that we are having a relationship with the players where they know that they can call us at any time and say, hey, I need this, I need that. So the exact details of everything is still a little bit in flux as we sit here right now. But, you know, we certainly want to be leaders in whatever we're allowed to give, getting it to the guys. And, you know, when you come from a place like Temple, which I love, you know, you kind of learn, you know, to, hey, hey, figure it out, right? Like if, if, if guys are at their home and they don't have access to, you know, this, then I want a strength coach and I want strength assistants who are going to say, what do you have? And, hey, let's figure it out. How can I help you? And so when that's allowed, when that's applicable, then, you know, 
I know our staff will always do those kind of things. Matt, when you were the, the, the one other coach I want to ask you about is Joe Brady, obviously coming from LSU, uh, but spent time with the New Orleans Saints and was at Penn State as a grad assistant, all those kind of things, but very young. What did you what did you know about Joe Brady, Matt, that made you really target him for, you know, that important position right there? Obviously, be coaching Teddy, um, you know, going forward. But what did you really covet about Joe, what he accomplished last year and what you knew about him before? You know, I had a chance, you know, years ago, Joe, when it was at Penn State and William and Mary, you know, um, had to come and visit us once or twice. And I, knew, I knew about him and and. Um, you know, he, he did an interview this year. It was a Saturday. It was on college game day. And he said something that, you know, stood out to me. You know, we're talking about their receivers at LSU. He said, you know, we don't want to put on a show. We want to put on a clinic. And, um, you know, I, I loved his offense at LSU. And I really, really respect Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints and that offense and the way that it's constructed. And to see Joe have a college version of that offense was exactly kind of where my mind was hey you know you have the ability to be as multiple as you know as new orleans but at the same time also bring the cool things that are in college football and as you talk to him he's a football guy mm -hmm. you know he's a he, he's he's not a he's not a he's not you know, he doesn't fancy himself some guru he, he's a guy that just wants to sit there and grind on tape he's a guy that'll send you a text at 11 o'clock at night you know about this guy or that guy he, you know when you talk to him about a route he'll say oh so and so ran that and you know uh, you know, six years ago in this game, yeah. he's just one of those guys who lives and dies by the tape. And, and that's always what I really wanted, you know, uh, whether it was a college coach, whether it was an NFL coach, I wanted guys who don't think they have it all figured out and are in love with, you know, Hey, what's new, what's on the cutting edge. How can we do things different? How can we do them better? And as I talked to Joe, it was clear that that's who he was without an ego, without anything like that. And um, since that, since working with him, I'm just uh, really excited about who he is and the offense that I think that you know he'll put together for us along with his staff. Matt, in that NFC South division, you're going to face six times a combination of Tom Brady, Matty Ice, and Drew Brees in this NFC South. Um, you know what those three quarterbacks are capable of at the NFL level. Is that something that keeps you up at night, or you're looking forward to that challenge? I'm sure as well. Well, my, first of all, I have the utmost respect for those those teams, those players, and those coaches. Yeah. And I think if you go back and look at Carolina Panther history, um, you know when they've had a winning season in in the division, um, it's been a really good year. And when they haven't, it hasn't been a great year. I think there's only one time that those two things don't correlate. You know, which it makes sense, but it's you know you know it's, it's not count. You know, I mean it's pretty intuitive, but you have to kind of really look at it and say, man, you have to start at home and win from within. And so um, I think as we try to put our team together, you know, uh, we're just trying to, you know, get the best pieces that we can in free agency to allow ourselves to be successful. We're trying to make sure that uh, the way that we operate, the way that we do things, we have the right guys for that. But um, I, I certainly think as you start looking at those teams, as we enter into the draft, the way that they play, the, their strengths, the players that they have, you know, become a factor knowing that the quarterbacks and not only the quarterbacks, but the receivers that we're going to have to face, um, it, it'll truly be a challenge for our defense. And I think it really factors into the draft. Matt, I, I've known Teddy Bridgewater since, um, since his days at Louisville. And, um, you know, I, I followed him in, you know, his, his injury. And I remember when he went to New Orleans, Matt, um, he could have left after his first year. He had offers out there to go be this, but he was really, he, he really was invested in what the Saints were doing, how Drew Brees went about his, day-to-day -day business, the way Sean Payton grinded. I think he really thought that staying in an extra year 
was really going to benefit him, even if he didn't play, just being in that culture. Um, and then I, I talked to him a little bit this year when he was starting, and it did all pay off. And then to be associated with Joe Brady this year uh, or last year, and then to, to kind of actually see it all come together with you, what did you see, Matt, when you when you talked to, to Teddy Bridgewater, when you saw him, um, when you were around him? I, I, I don't know if he actually got to the building or not before this shutdown stopped. I think he was probably there when you first signed him. But what did you like, Matt? The day that the signing was announced, I got a text from the SID at, at Baylor, and it was a picture of me at bowl practice as we got ready for the Sugar Bowl. Um, you know, we practiced at the Saints wow. facility, and Teddy was out there throwing routes with the guys, and he was walking down the – he was walking down the um, – you know, we are getting ready to start practice. We're kind of doing like a little walkthrough. He's walking down the sideline. He walks out onto the field starts talking to Tyquan Thornton, who's our sophomore receiver, kid out of Miami, and, you know, Teddy's one of those guys that everyone in South Florida knows, loves, and respects. And he came over to me and said hello, and I – you know, we had played against him in college. And I just said to him, said, hey, you know, Teddy, I have so much respect for you, um, the way that you've bounced back from your injury, the way that everywhere you've been, you've won. You know, even to go 5-0 and this year and now you're not the starter and you're out here throwing, you know, routes after practice, you know, to get ready in case you have to go in the game. What a, what a, what a message you're sending our team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had so much respect for him on a personal level and just kind of just wanted to say that and thought it was over. And so now to have him, you know, come here with us, you know, he, he's a guy that he's won everywhere he's been. He went to Louisville and they won there, you know, before Lamar Jackson, before all those things, you know, he was the one that got them to, you know, to the, to, to the, the levels that he did. And, you know, for him to take him to the playoffs in Minnesota and then, you know, to have that injury and come back. And, you know, I, I always remember the video of him when he finally got a chance to go back out there and play and you watch his teammates come over to him and how much, how much they felt about him and the way that they came over to talk to him. And then finally, you know, to see what he did this year, um, obviously there's some things, you know, he knows the offense, you know, he knows the, the terminology and all those things, which in a year like this is great. But I just think he's a special person and he's a winner and um, someone I've had a lot of respect for ever since we played him at Louisville. Matt, one of the guys that you're going to have the privilege of coaching is Christian McCaffrey. And he's got to be one of those guys you look at and go, man, we can do a lot of things, a lot of different things with a dynamic athlete like Christian McCaffrey. What's your experience been with him so far? I know it's limited uh, with, with everything going on, but and, and how can you utilize him in that offense to, to really get the most out of all the different threats that he brings to your team offensively? Well, you know, Christian, um, Christian was there on the day that I took the job, you know, so he was one of the first guys I had a chance to meet. And um, obviously, you know, I can't really see him now, but he's, you know, he's always a phone call away or a text away. And, and you're right, you know, to, to label him as one position, uh, you know, is, that doesn't do justice to who he is and what he can do. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's again, going back to kind of, you know, why I hired Joe, I, I, I wanted someone that really could, really could see, the, you know, the players instead of just the system. And I think Christian's the ultimate example of that. So uh, his ability to go out and be a receiver, to catch the ball in the backfield, to run the football, to protect, I mean, he does it all. He's a, he's such a complete and total player. And I'm going to throw into that mix. You know, you also see Curtis Samuel and you see somebody that, you know, going back to even his college days, um, he is so versatile and so multiple. And so I think when you, you know, you look at who we have and the players that we have, um, you know, you say to yourself, well, there's a lot of guys who can really be multiple. And that's really with this league. That's when you become hard to defend. You know, you can be hard to defend because you execute really well, which we certainly want to do. You can, you know, be hard to defend also, though, because you have versatility and it's really hard for people to match up with you. And Christian certainly is the, you know, the epitome of that. And I think Curtis Samuel is right there as well. Matt, I was in the uh, Jets locker room last year. I was doing something. And I saw Robbie 
Anderson there, and um, I kind of just shouted out at him. And I said, hey, Robbie, after you get done a Matt Rule training camp, is there any NFL practice that is ever harder than and more challenging than what you went through at Temple? He just laughed. He goes, there's nothing like a Matt Rule practice. But I almost get the feeling, Matt, that these guys want to be – they want to be trained hard. They want to be disciplined. They want to they wanna know that there's – like there's fruits for their labor. And I think Robbie is, is that guy. I mean, I, I'm not surprised that you signed him. But I know, like, you know, you, you signed Keith Kirkwood and Tahir and P.J. Walker, guys that you've known from your days at Temple. And I think there's – you know, when you're, when you're talking about the word culture, it gets thrown a lot or, around a lot. But I think you know what you're looking for, and I think those guys know what to expect. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things, um, you know, uh, some people might say, you know, why, why did he sign four guys that, you know, went to Temple? I think the thing that I'll say is other people were trying to sign those guys, too. I think those guys, you know, not it's not necessarily just me. It's the strength coach. It's the it's the position coaches. You know, they might have had multiple options. P.J. Walker had, you know, five, six, seven options. But he knew what to expect. He, he knew our culture and the way that we're going to compete and the best guys are going to play. And, and he knew the way he would get coached. And so he was a part of that. You know, I think Robbie, I think, you know, the chance to play with Teddy Bridgewater was as much a, a draw for Robbie as probably me. I mean, you know, um, you know, he, two South Florida guys and, and he has a lot of respect for him. And um, so I think I think there's a lot of things about it. One of the things that I do know is is that you know, the NFL is hard and football is hard and you want guys that, you know, uh, are going to compete no, no matter what you want guys that, you know, are going to work and grind no matter what. I mean, everyone has a great attitude in the off season, right? Everyone, you know, everyone has character right now, uh, coaches, players, everybody. Like I want to work with guys that I know, you know, when things are hard are going to continue to work just as hard as if we were, you know, having a great season. I want to work with guys that I, that, that I can count on right now when we're, everything's virtual that I know are working and grinding and I don't have to, you know, monitor them as coaches or anything. And I think that's the same with players. And so when you have guys that are great players that um, are tough, that believe in what you believe in, then, you know, the sky's the limit. And so uh, that that's Robbie, you know, Robbie's a fast guy. Robbie's had production, but most importantly about Robbie, he's one of the most competitive people I've ever been around. And um, I trust him. I believe in him. And, uh, you know, as we went through the process in free agency, you know, I don't think there was a day that Joe Brady didn't come to me and say, you know, let's get Robbie, let's get Robbie, let's get Robbie. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think he'll bring just a dynamic element. We talked about Curtis. We talked about Christian. You have DJ Moore. We signed Seth Roberts. You have a lot of these, but, you know, you have a guy in Robbie that can really, really stretch the field both horizontally and vertically. Matt, we'll let you run here. Thank you for your time. I have one question here, Matt. We'll let you get back to your draft meetings because it might involve one of your former players at Baylor. There's a bunch of them that will be in the draft. But Denzel Mims, uh, Matt, was a guy that, you know, really, you know, he came – he really was there, but he started playing when you got there. You saw him when you guys weren't very good, and uh, he was competitive and improving and is a real talent. Can you just give us a thumbnail on Denzel Mims and everybody looking at this really thick and varied wide receiver draft? Yeah, and I'll, I'll talk about him as a, you know, really as his, as his college coach. Um, unbelievably tough. You know, that was one of my, you know, challenges to him last year was, hey, are you going to be able to play through injury, play through a hamstring? The guy played through, the guy played through everything this year. Um, can run. Everyone saw the way that he can run. And some people are su surprised at that 40 times. Here's the only thing I'll say. When you watch Big 12 players on offense or defense, yeah. I think you have to understand is they're very rarely getting in a huddle. 
You know, there's an RPO tag to every play. They're not like lining up, you know, getting in the huddle, going out, blocking the corner, coming back into the huddle. And then they're running a route every single play. It, it's a hundred, you know, 20 degrees. It's 115 yeah. degrees. They're running 75 yeah. plays. And I, I think guys in the big 12 and offensive defense sometimes just get worn down from the style of play. And they, it might not look how fast they are, but it certainly translates when you see them get on the track. So he's tough. He's fast. He's worked hard on his ball skills. And I don't know if there's a guy, you know, that's had more uh, game-winning catches yep. um, over his career than, 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 than Denzel has. And so, um, you know, that's me talking not as the Panthers head coach, but as his former college coach. I, I think whoever gets him is going to get a great competitor and a guy that's going to be a deep threat. And, you know, he got to the senior bowl and into more of a pro-style system, was able to move around, was able to motion, was able to do those things. And I think some of the questions people have were answered at the senior bowl and then certainly at the combine. Yeah, Matt, his, his overtime touchdown against TCU is – something we've all seen over and over again. Matt, we really appreciate you coming on this podcast and uh, sharing some of your insights with us. It's difficult times for everybody. I know if there's one guy that can get through this the right way, it's you. So we wish you the best of luck, Matt, and we'll be in touch down the road. And we're all, we're all pulling for uh, what you do at Carolina and how you're going to turn things around there. We know it's coming. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you guys. Uh, special thanks to Matt Rule. He's great, isn't he, Baldy? He doesn't have any bad days. I mean, he's, he, he's the same guy every day, and it's always upbeat, but not just like pie in the sky, upbeat. I mean, he's just a naturally upbeat guy that will always give you another side to whatever you're thinking, no matter what the circumstances are. And he's an amazing guy to be around because uh, you can't help but feel like you haven't done enough when you're around that rule, like there's more to do. He's the leader. He's a leader of men. You could just yeah, get that yeah. sense from him, right? And he's going to have tremendous success at the NFL level as well. Baldy, before we get to five questions for Baldy here on episode six, we got to get to the 2010s all-decade team roster. And we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. There's some unanimous choices in here, including, of course, Tom Brady, unanimous choice. Adrian Peterson was a running back, unanimous choice. Joe Thomas as an offensive tackle. And uh, Yanda as well as an offensive guard. Um, they're the only unanimous choices but the other quarterback is Aaron Rodgers it, that's that's a good fit for the 2010s right and I don't know who else you could consider in that maybe uh, Russell Wilson could be in that category uh, as a potential guy but Aaron Rodgers seems like the right player to be the other quarterback right yeah I don't I don't have any problem with with, with, the, with the selection of Aaron Rodgers but you're right Russell Wilson has had an amazing decade yeah um, you know and so I mean it's been eight straight years he started every single game for Seattle they've been to two Super Bowls and won one. I mean, you could certainly put him in that category. Um, you know, so that's uh, that's that's a guy that you definitely have to look at. The the other running backs, including Adrian Peterson, were LaShawn McCoy, Marshawn Lynch, and Frank Gore. Oddly enough, he still keeps ticking along. Frank Gore had that great Eagle career for about a half a minute when Chip Kelly thought they had him signed and they didn't. But uh, Frank Gore in that list as well. The wide receivers. I want to get your thoughts on these uh, four guys. Antonio Brown, Larry Fitzgerald, Calvin Johnson, and Julio Jones. Boy, any quarterback, if you're lining up those four guys, you're going to have a lot of success throwing the football. <laughs> no question. And really, um, you know, Calvin, you know, I mean, it, it didn't last as long. Um, you definitely have to put Julio in there. I'm a, a little surprised Antonio Brown isn't on the list, only because of what he did for five straight years in this decade. Um, it's almost unsurpassed. 
um, his five years uh, in Pittsburgh there. Now, I know it, it ended badly here but um, this year, but there was a five-year run there where um, it's pretty tough to match his, his numbers. Yeah, and, he, and he's a guy, maybe more, the most impressive feat in the NFL is that Mike Tomlin kept him under control for five years. Well, that's what we're finding <laughs> yeah. out now. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Finding out now is we wonder what he had to, you know, uh, hide or what he had to deal with that never ever got outside the huddle or yeah. outside of you know Heinz Field over there. Um, maybe the 2010s decade would the the position of the greatest strength maybe in its history was tight end with Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey. There's been some great tight ends in the NFL and pairs of them if you go back and you look at some of the great uh, tight ends that played in this in this league. But in 2010, to have a, a, a pretty full decade of Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey is incredibly impressive. Yeah, and I, you know, I, don't, I'm, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, I mean, obviously, uh, Gonzalez was a big part of the decade, too. Yeah. I, I, he might have ended, you know, probably too prematurely to, to include him. Um, but, yes, I mean, Gronkowski is – to me, I don't care what anybody says. Like, when I hear Rob Gronkowski's name, I don't even blink about being a first ballot Hall of Fame player. He was beyond dominant. He was the best red zone threat that we may have ever seen. And he's the single best blocking tight end that I have seen um, since I really started studying the game. Now, you know, maybe you could go back and you could find other guys that could do that, maybe going as far back as John Barry, but, you know, to me, or John Mackey, but to me, um, he's the most dominant blocker and, um, he, he, you know, he, he in, in the evolution of the tight end position, he evolved the position because there's really not anyone quite like a guy that could line up at wide receiver and be unblocked, unguardable, and then go to the in tight end position and block, you know, a, a stud defensive end and, you know, bury him. And so there really there's been nobody that had that combination like Gronk. Yeah, uh, the defensive side of the ball, only one unanimous or two unanimous selections there. J.J. Watt at the defensive end position and Von Miller at linebacker. But you have some huge names here, including Julius Peppers, uh, Fletcher Cox, Aaron Donald, uh, and Nugget Sue is on the there as well. Luke Keekley, who just retired, Patrick Willis, some big names here as well, including Richard Sherman as a quarterback and Darrell Revis and Patrick Peterson, your three corners. Th- those three certainly were the uh, for that uh, that honor of being on the All-Decade team? Well, I know Revis and, and Sherman went back and forth this year. It was kind mm-hmm. of a silly argument as far as I'm concerned. I mean, they're completely different players and different systems. But we've never seen a player quite like Darrell Revis and what he did. I mean, there was a five-year run there with the Jets where he shut down everybody that he played week in, week out. I mean, there was truly just one Revis Island. There was really nobody that comes close to being able to do what he did. Um, it was a remarkable skill. Um, he did it without a lot of fanfare. He didn't beat his chest. He got paid now. He got paid probably more than any other corner that's ever played this game, if you look at him aggregate-wise. So people respected, you know, what he did when it came time to cash and checks. But he, he, he was he was remarkable. Keekley uh, was really, to me, a standalone Mike linebacker for what he did coming into the league and what he did year in, year out um, with the volume of tackles. Bobby Wagner would be close, really close, because he's been a great, great player. Um, and so, I mean, he's, he's, if there's Keekley, then there's, to me, there's Wagner that is the next closest and he's right on his tails because he's, uh, he's almost every bit the player, if not all the player that he is. So th- that's a guy that I would definitely give consideration 
uh, two uh, when you come to the linebackers, the inside linebackers. And the two coaches is pretty much chalk here. It's Bill Belichick's and Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll. Yeah, pretty yeah, I would say so. I mean, you know, Pete yeah. Carroll, he goes from USC. He goes, you know, he gets another, you know, whack at the NFL after being with the Jets and with the Patriots. And all he did for five straight years, this has never been done, five straight years, the Seattle Seahawks gave up the fewest points in the league. I mean, the Steel Curtain didn't do that in Pittsburgh. Wow. But for five years in a row, and I, I, you know, that, I mean, some fact checker could, you know, do that for me. But I'm pretty sure I have it right, Jason, that they gave up the fewest points in the league five years in a row. I mean, that's Pete Carroll challenging players, um, turning over the roster, um, competition, everything that he preaches is real. And, you know, the one thing about Pete, I mean, Belichick is Belichick, and he's really in a category by himself because you have to look way beyond this decade and go, of any coach, in any sport, in any yeah. in any era, I mean, Belichick is, is ba- basically rivals anybody, if not better than anybody. But if Pete Carroll is the second – one thing I loved about Pete is he's never been afraid to play young players early. And, you know, and, and you make mistakes as a young player and you live with the mistakes and sometimes it costs you games. But those young players become great players and they become cornerstone players. And, you know, he's, he's never been afraid to do that, putting the players on the field and letting them get seasoned. Some coaches are afraid to do that for those mistakes. But I love Pete that he's – He's never had that fear about playing players that he saw greatness in and let them, you know, learn by experience. Yeah. And he's got a great energy about him as well. That just seems like he's 68 years old. Jason. I mean, he's, he's remarkable. He's, he's on the field with his gloves on having a catch before every single game. Um, You can't, you can't get Pete to do anything but smile and come right back at you with fire and brimstone over any subject it is. Um, there's a lot to admire about Pete Carroll. I'll tell you that. Not he's got a lot of good coaching left in him. Yeah, you're you're right about that. And they've had a lot of success in the decade as well. And when you talk about Belichick, I mean, he's you're talking about John Wooden. Those are the kind of yeah. things that you're you're thinking of when you bring him up. It's he is in a level all his own. Well, it is Baldy. It is time for five questions for Baldy. Yeah. We end every episode with five great questions for you. So let's get to the questions for this episode. Question number one, five questions from Baldy, and these are coming from listeners. You put out the tweet on Twitter. Uh, yep. Baldy's Twitter put it out, and we got great responses, and we start with Jay Reinhart, who says, who will be the first running back drafted in 16 days? So there's three running backs that, uh, you know, that everybody's looking at. There's Swift, you know, a, a Jersey kid right here from this area. Uh, there's Jonathan Taylor and, you know, there's, uh, and there's Dobbins. And so, I mean, you can kind of throw them all. But I have a feeling Swift is going to be the first running back taken, but I love Dobbins. I love Dobbins at Ohio state. He's from a small town in Texas. He's dominated the big 10 since the day he stepped on campus. Uh, he did not run a 40. So it's, you know, at the combine when, when Taylor did at Wisconsin. And so, you know, Taylor has been a, uh, a sprint champion. I think all three are worthy of being the first-round picks. I think all three will be taken in the top 40 picks, but I, I, I think Swift will be the first running back taken. Okay, that is question number one, five questions for Baldy. Let's head to question number two. Joe Esposito tweets it and says, which of the big four offensive tackles stand out to you the most, Becton Thomas, Wirfs, or Wills? Well, I think Wills is the most consistent player and the most dominant player right now, uh, the right tackle from Alabama. But I love Becton at Louisville, 
just because I haven't seen a guy that size move that well. And to me, he's the he has the upside of being a dominant player and improving your offensive line the most. Uh, Worse is the most talented player, might be the most talented offensive line we've seen since since uh, maybe Lane Johnson came into the league. Um, he's he's the only he's the only offensive lineman for uh, Kirk uh, Ferentz that started as a 18 year old true freshman. And if you will look him look at him as a true freshman against a guy like Nick Boza, he didn't look like a true freshman. But you know I I, I think he's got some weaknesses that I want to see addressed. I mean, he does get top heavy. He does get, he does forward lean a little bit that kind of concerns you, but his talent and his tape for the most part is really, really good. And then Thomas at Georgia has got great talent. His feet though are just all over the place and he looks sloppy at times. Now he has the ability to recover at the college level. I don't know that you could play that way. At the NFL, I think he needs a lot of technique work to become, to me, a dominant offensive lineman. He has the potential of being it. I'm not saying he can't, but he looks it looks too sloppy. His footwork looks too sloppy to me right now. Um, but, look, they're all going to probably be taken in the top 15 picks. Um, and everybody has them sort of rated differently, but that's how I look at them. Maybe a little bit of a, a project for a team there with that footwork. Let's go to Matt Reichel, and you can tweet these into at NFL. He said, who will the Eagles draft at number 21 overall, and will they aim to move up? We all know that Howie Roseman is a guy, a bit of a gunslinger, Baldy. Um, if he sees an opportunity, he likely will take it. But I guess what Matt's asking is, what's their need at around 21? Well, I mean, look, they, they, they will tell you that, you know, since they drafted Carson, that they'll never stop building around Carson. So, and I take them at their word because they have done that. So if that's the case, then there's a couple things. One, if Ruggs is there at 21, I don't think they blink. I think they take Henry Ruggs from Alabama. I doubt he'll be there at 21. But if he would slide a little bit, I could see how he's going to get him. Um, I could see them taking Kenneth Murray. At linebacker, there's a huge need at linebacker. They want to get younger and faster at every position. Well, they would get really fast at middle linebacker with Kenneth Murray. I think there's an interest there. There's a possibility there. I think that if a guy that they didn't love at 21 wasn't there, I don't think they would think twice about moving back and taking a guy like Cesar Ruiz, you know, a kid out of Camden and Michigan that might be the best center in this business. They have shown that they're not afraid to draft a replacement for a great player. And I think that the replacement would be Jason Kelsey. I think he has flexibility to play guard and center. And so I could see, you know, some, some excitement in doing that. But I think the first choice is wide receiver. My choice is rugs. I'm not saying it's the Eagles, but it just depends on who's there. Um, and who, where would they think about moving up with one of their eight picks, some of their eight picks to go get a star wide receiver to continue to build around Carson? Yeah. Give Carson the weapons that he needs. Uh, Josiah tweets in question number four and says, who's the top cornerback prospect in this draft behind Akuda? Well, there's, there is, you know, CJ Henderson, you know, at Florida, 
who I know he's a talented player. He's he doesn't tackle well at all. You know, and I think there's there's a real question to me about CJ Henderson at Florida. He he tests off the charts. You know, he's big. He's got a lot of, you know, great tape. He runs a, under a 4-4. I mean, I do love Henderson. But, you know, I look at a guy like Jalen Johnson at Utah, and I go, okay, here's a guy that runs just about as well, has similar size, um, but really tackles much, much better and is more complete player. So to me right now, there, and there's other players, but me right now after Akuda. I think I like Jalen Johnson the most at Utah. I think that would be my second choice. He's probably a top 20 pick, maybe a top 25 pick, but that's where I stand right now at the quarter position. Okay, last question. Five questions for Baldy, and this one, again, they, they come into at Baldy NFL. Tank, great name, by the way. Yeah. Thoughts on Michael Pittman Jr. and where he may land? I love Pitt. Um, you know, when you look at Michael Pittman at USC, I mean, first of all, his father was a great player. I loved his father, um, you know, when he, when he was a running back in the league. He was a big, tough kid, uh, won a championship in Tampa, been around the game a long, long time. But he's got almost unique size at 6'4 and, 200, and 224 pounds um, and still runs, you know, a 4'5'40". I, I love Mike Pittman. He's probably – if I said – is he a top five receiver for me? Yes, I think he is in this draft. If you said, okay, there's Judy and there's Ruggs and there's Jefferson. I mean, I, I'm putting – and there's C.D. Lamb. I'm putting Pittman as my fifth wide receiver. Uh, and I'm not so sure he can't be – he, he can't be a dominant player in this league. I, I think he has everything it takes to be really, really good. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, Pittman to me is a first-round pick. Uh, you know, I mean, I think there's probably, uh, you know, eight, eight players that are worthy of first round draft status at wide receiver. I put Pittman in that category, but he's my, my fifth wide receiver right now. And, um, I'm really high on, him. I think he's going to be a really good player. We got a bonus question too. Uh, John 71 on Twitter asks, where do you expect Tua to end up? Does he end up at two to the Washington Redskins? Does he slip? I think the way this draft is going to go, Jason, I said it um, going way before uh, this outbreak of this virus and the pandemic and the shutdown that we're all involved in right now globally. Um, I said that the draft was going to go Burrow and Tua, one and two. Mm. Um, we've seen it many, many times throughout the history of the NFL. Um, these quarterbacks, and I know that there's an injury concern with Tua, but if you can get over that, um, he's got great tape. And he's a great player, a great kid with great character and a great family and great talent. I think, I don't know if it's the Redskins taking him number two, Jason. You know, maybe somebody has to move up, whether it's Miami, Detroit, uh, Jacksonville, I don't Chargers. know. I mean, somebody, Chargers, yeah. Chargers, I mean, there's a lot of teams that are looking for a quarterback um, that may feel like Tua is their, is their Deshaun Watson, is their Patrick Mahomes. We got to go get him. And so I think that's the way the draft is going to go. I know, obviously, it, it, there's many scenarios that don't have it like that, but that's how I see it. I see Burrow and Tua going one and two, and nothing that I've seen is really going to change that right now. We've seen plenty of teams 
trade up um, and give up a great deal to get what they think is their franchise quarterback. And he has all the intangibles that you want to be that guy. So I think that's the way it's going to go. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is you look at the mock drafts and as you get closer and closer to the drafts, the quarterbacks, they always start rising no matter what, because that's the position you need. <laughs> if you don't have a quarterback, if you can check that quarterback box, Baldy, yeah. heading into your, any off season, and you feel really comfortable with who you have back there under center, then you, it's a whole different ball game, isn't it? It's a different ball game. I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes is the latest example of that yep. and how quickly, you know, Kansas City became a viable threat in the AFC and how they look like they're going to be a viable threat um, for the foreseeable future. I mean, it's exactly what you want. He's going to make them competitive every week and every year um, for the whole prize. And so that's what everybody wants. And so, yes, uh, it, it's how you build their team. You, you draft that guy, you give him all the resources you need, and then you start building on your defense. That's what Kansas City did, and that's why, you know, they won their, you know, their second championship in 50 years. Yep, and it's a great recipe for success. Baldy, that's going to put a wrap on episode number six. Stay healthy, stay safe. Everybody else do the same, and uh, we'll talk to you next week on another episode of Baldy's Breakdowns. Great stuff, Baldy. My pleasure, Jason. Look forward to talking to you. We're getting close here. We're 16 days away as we as we uh, do this podcast to the draft. I don't think it's going to change. And so the intensity for you know how teams can change their fortunes, how it is truly – uh, everybody can turn their franchise around. Um, it gives everybody hope. Uh, we're counting the days down here, Jace. Look forward to talking to you next week about it. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Episode 6 of Baldy's Breakdowns.